You're in Colossians chapter 1, and let's read the passage here, chapter 1, verses 21 through 29, and you can follow along as I read. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, <coughs> whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I'm going to jump right into the message here. No matter what you do in life, anytime you follow the same routines day after day, week after week, year after year, you're sooner or later going to ask this question, why do I do this? You'll find yourself asking that question in marriage, and I'm not saying it's a, it's a, nat- a, a, a healthy question, but it's a natural question. I've been married 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and uh, especially during tough times, you might ask the question, why do I continue like this? If you've been working the same job for 20 years or uh, sometime just going to work, doing the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out. It may not be a healthy question. Sometimes it may be, but it definitely is a natural question when you're stuck in a tedious routine to say, why do I do this? But whether or not it's healthy, because it is natural, To keep you from getting off track, be sure you know the answers in advance. Have your life well thought out. When you make decisions, be prayed up and know in advance what the answers to these questions are. But tonight, I want to address that question specifically about your service routine, your routine of service to the Lord. And especially as a part of our church, I don't think I'll need those anymore. Especially as a part of our church, we do things on a on a regular basis. I am a creature of habit. And I know we all are to some extent. I probably am to a dangerous extent. I can get so much uh, going on, on a, get so much momentum with my routine that it's easy for me to, to, to miss things that are outside of my routine. In fact, it's easy for me to get frustrated with things that are outside of my routine. So routine can be a good thing, but it also can be a dangerous thing. But my, my addiction to routine, I think, probably clearly flows over into the church calendar. 
if you've been around here for any, um, any length of time, you start to realize, you know, we do a lot of the same things every single year, every year. And um, you can find yourself after last night's whatever it was, it's more than 15, it's got to be pushing 20, chilly nights, asking, uh, why do we do this? <laughs> uh, what's, what's the point? And uh, why are we raising this money? Okay, okay, I get youth conference. Why do we go to youth conference? Is it that much fun that we have to go every year? And you ask these questions, why do we do this? So tonight, I'm presenting that question. No matter what facet of the church routine you want to look at, no matter what areas of the church routine you are in, you're in weekly routines, you're in monthly routines, you're in annual routines, and we do the same things over and over again, and no doubt there's some times when you ask you, especially when you're tired, especially when the load gets heavy, you say, man, my, my church responsibilities are really challenging right now with all that I've got going on in the rest of my life. And in those moments, you very easily could find yourself asking the question, uh, why do I do this? My friends don't bear these kind of burdens. My friends outside of church don't bear these kind of burdens. My loved ones, my, my, my extended family members, they don't bear these kind of burdens. I remember one of my own cousins, good kid, good family, but I remember uh, when, when uh, I was much younger and he was young, I remember him asking the question, why do you do this? I go to church, he, he said, I go to church, I love the Lord, but I don't go crazy with it like you do. Why do you do this? And so to answer that question, I want you to focus on Colossians chapter 1. And this statement, at the end of verse 28, that continues into verse 29. <clears throat> Paul said, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor. Paul says, I do all this to lead everyone to become like Jesus. And number two, to become like Jesus myself. Now, for the sake of this message and the just few minutes that we have left of it, I'm going to reverse those. Because in the context of Paul's statement, it made total sense to start with the second and then go to the first. But in the context of what we're going to talk about, why do we do this? It probably makes more logical sense for us to state the first, the, the second one first and the first one second. Why do we do this? To become like Jesus and to lead others to become like Jesus. That is the prize. When Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, I believe that this are, gives the details of what that great prize is. The great prize of number one, becoming like Jesus Christ myself, and number two, leading others to become like Jesus Christ. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor. We fail to understand 
that one day we will realize that this is the greatest thing we could have done in our lives is to become like Jesus Christ and to lead others to become like Jesus Christ. I wish I had some way to uh, get your attention right now. To, to uh, and, and, and I know you may be saying, well, I'm listening. No, I mean to really get your attention, some sort of a spiritual taser, uh, you know, to just sort of, okay, now I'm, listening. Now I'm in, Pastor. Because I, won't, I don't want you to miss this. One day, you and I, when we stand before Jesus Christ, we'll finally comprehend. It'll finally become real to us that the only thing that mattered in that life down there that we were living is that we became like Jesus Christ and that we led others to become like Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I believe that's what he was talking about. Becoming like Jesus Christ and leading others to become like Jesus Christ. It is a <coughs> long, slow, gradual process to become like Jesus Christ. And to lead others to become like Jesus Christ. And the truth is, I can't do either one. But the Bible's very clear, and I'll show you, be the last thing I'll show you before we, we pray. The Bible's very clear that even though I can't make myself like Jesus, and even though I can't make you like Jesus, I can play a role to facilitate him making me like Jesus. And to assist and facilitate him in making you like Jesus Christ. We all know the feeling. I think you're lying if you don't. When uh, test day comes. The teacher's been telling you for three weeks you got a big test on the 12th. You got a big test on the 12th. You got a big test on the 12th. You better study. And yeah, that's whatever. And it's, you know, hey, come on. That's two weeks away. I got all the time in the world. And uh, next thing you know, it's the 11th. And you got the big test tomorrow. And you're going, yeah, but the big game is on tonight. I'll study for the test after the big game. And you fall asleep during the big game. And you wake up the morning of the 12th and you say, it's the big test today. And we all know that feeling of looking down at all those questions and going, I don't think he ever taught us this because I don't recognize any. I've never heard any of this stuff. And you're filling in blanks and you're writing down stuff and you're, you're looking at A, B, and C and doing eeny, meeny, miny, mo, true and false questions. You're flipping a coin. All because you didn't take it seriously. Let me tell you what the ultimate example of that is, is going to be when we stand before Jesus Christ and we hear everyone, excuse me, the, the, the uh, um, metaphor, but everyone being graded on how much they became like Jesus Christ and how much they helped others to become like Jesus Christ. And we're going, I didn't know that was going to be on the test. I was doing this other stuff that I thought was important.
Hey. Now, the truth is, I'm not giving any of us, letting any of us off the hook. But in this brand of Christianity that we're being sold in this day and age, I can see where it might be possible for us to say, nobody ever told me that. But not you. Because you're sitting here. And you've heard me preach this many times before. And by the way, even if, if I weren't in the, the equation, you've got a Bible that says it over and over and over again. Romans 8 says that his purpose is that we should be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians 4 says the whole purpose, is a, a purpose of the church is till we all come unto a perfect man in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's all through these epistles. That God wants us to become like Jesus Christ. So there's no way around that. And yet there's going to be many believers that stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne. The great white throne, I should point this direction if we're going chronologically. The great white throne happens later and it's where people are cast into hell because they never received Jesus. You and I are not going to be judged there if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. No, <clears throat> this is what's going to be going on in heaven. While the tribulation is taking place down here on earth. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And be judged for our service. And that's where we are going to be graded. For how much we became like Jesus Christ. And that's where most of us are going to stand. And say I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't expecting this. I, I, I thought it was about how many chapters I read in my Bible, or I thought it was about how many how how faithful I was to church, or I, I thought it was about how many tracts I passed out. I'm not saying that any of those things is not important, but I am saying that none of them is the ultimate goal. The goal is how much did I become like Jesus Christ, and how much did I lead others? Why do we live in God's Word? To become like Jesus Christ and to help others become like Jesus Christ. Why do we pray? Why do we worship? Why do we tithe and give offerings? Why do we pass out tracts? Why do we knock on doors? Why do we teach Sunday school? Why do we sing in the choir? Why do we run buses? Why do we have teen activities? Why do we have special meetings? Why do we have a radio broadcast? Why do we have Reformers Unanimous? Why do we have Chili Night? Why do we sit and listen to preaching? To become like Jesus and to help others to become like Jesus. Being made like Jesus is the biggest thing there is in this life. And until that becomes a large part of your motivation, your faith is on shaky ground. Being a part of a local New Testament church like ours has many advantages. There's the advantage of friendship. It's a great place to have Christian friends. There's the advantage of having a support team. A lot of people go through life, and when they face a challenge, they don't have a support team. You do if you're part of a local New Testament church. You get to see things as a part of what we do on a regular basis. We were, Amy and I were talking to a professor at uh, Westcon the other day, and uh, she, <coughs> we were just talking about things, and I don't know how the subject of Chicago came up, but, but the professor at, at uh, uh, Westcon said, oh, I've never been to Chicago. I thought, man, the teenagers in our youth group have been to uh, Chicago so many times they're sick of it. You get to see things. You get to, to do things. How many people get the opportunity to sing? 
in front of a crowd. And I'm not talking about karaoke night at the bar. I'm talking about how many people get to stand up and be a blessing to others in song. How many of you, maybe the one thing that you can brag about when you go to work, you know, you, uh, you, you may be embarrassed to talk about uh, Sunday school or, or singing in the choir or whatever, but uh, man, it sure is easy to go to work on Monday and say, you know what I did yesterday? I fed 150 homeless people. <sighs> what did you do, you know? Um, why do you get the opportunity to, to enjoy things like that? The church provides that for you. So many other things. But none of these things will keep you living for God. If those are the things that keep you motivated and driven, you will eventually fall by the wayside. If your eyes are not on the eternal prize of becoming like Jesus, you will turn aside. I don't want to wear the point out. I don't want to wear you out. But let me give you two verses, two passages. And we will close. First, listen to David's words in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I don't know if you caught it, but it sure sounds to me like David is saying the most satisfying thing I could possibly do is to face my Savior having become like him. Now listen to John saying something very similar. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Now you say, oh, wait a second. That says we're going to be like Jesus anyway. So what's all the fuss? And I believe that the answer to that and what we had better be working for, I believe this, and, and I, you know, I believe that, that uh, this is what this passage is teaching us, that when you see Jesus, everything else about you, except that which has been made like Jesus, will vanish. Now, how small would I be? I, I read this and I ask myself the question, how small will I be when I see Jesus and everything else about me that's not like Jesus will vanish? And you know what I picture? I picture that episode of Bugs Bunny when they are tunneling underground and, uh, oh, not when they're tunneling, I know what happens. The, uh, they discover the gold and the genie makes Daffy Duck about that big. And then he runs and protects the gold. I mean, I could probably quote the whole episode for you if we had the time. He protects the gold saying, mine, 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 and little Daffy Duck. And I ask myself, when everything that has not been made like Jesus Christ vanishes, is that what I'm going to look like? About that big? You say, well, I don't know. Okay, well, then keep reading. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Once you realize that, number one, as, as David said, the greatest thing that could happen would be when you see Jesus to have become like Jesus. And number two, that everything about you that is not 
like Jesus when that happens will vanish. You live your life striving to purify yourself. See, that's what we do to do our part. Now, God has to do the work. God has to make the change. But there, there is a role for us to play. Why do we do this? Why do, next, the next time you're filthy, dirty, tired, doing some job in the work of the Lord, and you find yourself saying, why do I do this? There's your answer. To become like Jesus. Wait, it's not the work that makes you like Jesus. It's the heart. It's the obedience. It's the effort. It's the cause. Becoming like Jesus Christ, leading others to become like Jesus.